0: Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. If you're visiting with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. There's a card underneath the seat in front of you or should be called a connection card. You can fill that out either electronically or pen or pencil. If you do it by pen or pencil, you can drop it in the box in the back there between the two main doors. It's also where we take offerings if you want to give to the church to do this ministry. If you have been with us for a while and you want to get involved, that's another way to make contact with us uh, or with the office and somebody can reach out to you about a small group or some other way to get involved here at the church with other ministries, Uh, so please do so. So this week is uh, Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving because we see you again. It's going to be Merry Christmas, right? Because Christmas started in September, but... um, It really is supposed to start after Thanksgiving, so we'll keep it for that. So happy Thanksgiving. This is going to be a time for you to get. Most of you will be with family or friends and a great time to be a light to a world that needs a light in this world. Uh, Some of you are going to meet with family members that you do not look forward to meeting with. You're going to look forward to the turkey more than you will your uncle or cousin. And uh, if you are in that situation, this is a great time to be a blessing to them. You can either argue your point or you can love them. And a lot of times those two things don't go together. And uh, so make the most of this opportunity this week to be a light to your family and to the friends around you. Whatever that may look like. All of us are different. We're all going to walk into different circumstances. But be a, be a light to this, uh, to this world. And that's a great way to do it. Uh, we're going to be reading out of uh, Colossians chapter 4 verse 14. I saw that verse 14, we're doing it again. I thought it was a mistake, but uh, CF said, no, it's not a mistake. We are, he is talking about Demas. I've never had a lesson over Demas. So we're going to have something new, uh, this morning. So Colossians chapter four, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. And so the opportunity to talk about someone that most of us know nothing about mentioned very few times in scripture. Um, every word, every name is there for a purpose. And we're going to hear part of that this morning. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will bring that to life for us this morning through CF and through your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, for opportunity this week for us to be a light in this world, whether we're traveling or visiting or whatever the circumstances may be. Lord, I thank you for how you love us and how you take care of us. And I pray that we will honor you in all that we do. We just say this in your name, amen. Good morning, everybody.
1: Good to have you here. Good to see you part of the service. We're gonna continue our study through the book of Colossians. And today, as David said, we're looking at Demas. And Paul makes a very brief mention of him. He says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Official title of the message today is, is uh, Demas and the reality of spiritual declension. And what that simply refers to spiritual declension means spiritual decline, or as we commonly refer to it, backsliding, moving away from the faith. Uh, I read a book years ago back in the 80s by a Puritan writer, and the title of the book was The Reality of Spiritual Declension and the Life and the Heart of Man. It was a typical Puritan book because the title had about three more lines after that. They always have these real lengthy titles. And, uh, but I remember the first part of it, and I've got it in my collection somewhere. But I remember some of the key things about spiritual decline and how it comes about. And that's what we're gonna look at in the life of Demas today because it's applicable to every one of us, and we need to understand that. Okay, so let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word, continue to worship you through your word as we have in song, and just pray, Father, as we do so, that your word would be open and real to us, active, powerful in our life, and that we'd receive it and put it to use and practice in all that we do that we might better glorify you in our life. For we ask and we pray this of you in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Demas is mentioned three times in Scripture, which is pretty significant when you consider that many times people are only mentioned once in the Bible. But Demas is mentioned three times. The first place he's mentioned is right here in Colossians 4.14, where Paul gives his final farewells and greetings to the people at the church at Colossae. And he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. And then the uh, he's also mentioned in the book of Philemon. And in the book of Philemon, if you want to turn to Philemon 24, he's mentioned there. And... Uh, I'm going to back up to verse 22 to read. So if you want to start there. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So that's the second mention of him. And both of those mentions were during Paul's imprisonment from about 60 to 62 A.D., right in that time period, okay? The final mention of him is in 67 A.D., and that's in the book of 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, 2 Timothy 4, 9, Paul once again is writing his final letter. This is right before Paul's execution. He was executed shortly after this. And when he writes this portion of the letter, he says, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. So that's the third mention of Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. What do we know about Demas? What could we understand about Demas if we were to look through the Scripture and look at it in entirety? Well, when he's mentioned over in Colossians 4, if you'll look over there, Colossians chapter 4, Paul makes a statement up in verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes, you welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort for me." Then he's going to mention Epaphras. He's going to mention Luke. And he's going to mention Demas. By process of elimination and by statements in scripture, by the statements we understand this, that Aristarchus, Mark, and Justus were all Jews. And so he mentions Luke and Epaphras. And he mentions Demas separate. So we make the conclusion that Demas was a Gentile. He was a Gentile worker with Paul. Uh, Many outside sources believe he is from Thessalonica. That's where he fled when he left Paul. But he has worked with Paul throughout his ministry. The mention of him in the book of Philemon, if you want to turn there and look at it. I'll read it and it'll be up on the screen. He says, as do Mark, Aristicus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. That word there for fellow laborers is a compound word that, incli- that implies close work as partners, as people that share in the work. What that simply means is when he mentions Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke and refers to them as my fellow laborers, he's saying that these people are really critical to the ministry that i do they are very functional in the ministry that i do i'm i'm leaning upon them i'm trusting in them i'm dependent upon them so they demas was right in there with them he was viewed as being a very functional part of the ministry that paul had you come to the final reference of demas Uh, chronologically, not in order of books, but chronologically in time, his final mention of Demas is not good. His final mention of Demas is there in 2 Timothy where we read, he says, Be diligent to come to me, verse 9, for Demas has forsaken me. Why is he forsaken, Paul? He says, Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. So our final reference to Demas is that he has forsaken Paul. The word there that is used for forsaken is a compound Greek word. And the Greek word that is used there has great meaning behind it. And it means to abandon or to desert, to leave in straits. A phrase we'd use in our day and time was, the guy left me high and dry. Okay, that'd be a terminology we use, or he really let me down, or you might say I counted on Demas and he bugged out. Depends on what kind of language vernacular you're familiar with, but what it means is he left him on a lurch. He just abandoned him, no reasons or whatever, other than Paul says having loved this present world, Demas departed, left him alone. Paul doesn't go into detail. Uh, Perhaps he doesn't want to embarrass Demas. We don't know what became of Demas. We don't know if he got back into ministry. Don't know. Don't know what happened to him. But Paul makes the statement that Demas loved this present world. Now, there are two words that can be used for world. One of them is the word cosmos, and I've used that word a lot, K-O-S-M-O-S, cosmos. This word, it refers primarily to space. It refers to, a lot of times, to physical things. The other word that is used, Iona, is A-I-O-N-A. I didn't put them up there. I've used both of them numerous times. It refers more so to time. And by time, what it simply means is like the age. Or Demas left me for the present time meaning what's going on around him. It's speaking of his temporary, what Demas did is he exchanged something of eternal value for something locked into time that's going away. Temporary. Okay, that's the idea that he's trying to, he's saying this, he turned from the eternal to the temporary. He turned from that which is of value to that which is insignificant. He made a change in his mind and his heart And what happened in the life of Demas is not something that doesn't happen to everybody. Nobody is guaranteed to finish the race strong. Okay? Nobody is. Every one of us at one time or another can spiritually move away from God. And in this case, it was Demas that did it. Demas forsook Paul and went for that which is in time. He swapped them out. Now, the key to understanding the book of Colossians, as i told you before, is in chapter three, verses one through four. That is the real pivot of the book. The book revolves around that key structure there. And I'm going to read it, verses one through four. It says, if then, first class condition, since, since you were raised with Christ, speaking of believers, he talks about how we were raised up with Christ when we were saved. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And so what Paul's saying in that passage is, you and I, as believers, are to have a divine focus in life. Our life is to be focused upon the things of God. Now, how does that work when you work 8, 10, 12, 14 hours at a at a secular job, whereas some people say, you know, I worked all day. Uh, how do you how do you seek those things above? How do you, as verse two says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth? How do you do that when you have a job that takes up a good portion of your life? Because you got to focus on your job too. How do you do that? What he's talking about there is. Your purpose and thrust in life is for the kingdom of God. Your heartbeat is for the things of God. And so you view your job as God's means that he works through to provide for you on a daily basis. All the things that you have in life is what you get through your job. God's way of provision is that you work. And when you work, you are provided through that work, okay? That's just the way God's design is. But the way you do it as a Christian is, you do it that my primary relationship is with God, and my job here is the way I get what I need in life, but my job is also where I live out what I am in Christ Jesus. I am light and salt in the world around me. It doesn't mean that you spend all your time at work reading your Bible. You're gonna get fired if you do that what you do is you have a mindset that is seeking those things above. That even though I'm doing this menial task, I'm gonna do it as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord, I will receive the reward of my inheritance. And whatever I do, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I will do it as unto the Lord. You have a primary focus in life that seeks those things above, you set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When God redeemed you into a relationship with him, he also redeemed you out of this world. He gave you a different purpose. He says now that you are an ambassador for Christ Jesus, you have been Given a new citizenship, Paul says in Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven. So see, we have a new location. We are pilgrims here on earth. We are ambassadors. We are visitors here to reflect our heavenly kingdom. That is the, the big picture of the Christian life. He says, for your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So that, that is the thrust of our life, is to live for the things of God. Demas is doing that. He's working with Paul. You think of what Demas was exposed to in his day-to-day work with Paul as he saw God miraculously deliver Paul from all these different situations that Paul lists over in uh, the book of uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in particular, about all the things that happened to him in ministry where any one of those things could have ended his life. And he's been miraculously delivered from them. He gets to the end of his life and Demas leaves him. Demas forsakes him. And Paul said he loved this present world. He, he decided to live for time. He went out there and he forsook what we were doing here, left us high and dry, and he moved on. Moved on to something different. The Bible warns us about that. If you want to turn to 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, we see a passage that references this in verse 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 1 John 2 and 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, what that means is if a person loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a relationship with God. It speaks of the absolute condition that takes place in our life. And that absolute condition is this. You and I, as believers, are either filled with the Spirit and we're pursuing the things of God or we are filled with the flesh and we're pursuing the things of sin. Our life is is one of the two. You're not partially filled and impartially carnal. You are either controlled by your flesh or you're controlled by your spirit. I'm either controlled by my flesh or I'm controlled by by the spirit of God. You understand? It's one of the two. And so when he says in this passage, the love of the Father is not in him. What that simply means is he's operating in the flesh. When I'm operating in the Spirit, the love of the Father is in me. When I'm operating in the flesh, the love of the flesh is within me. See, our identity in life comes from our relationship to Jesus Christ. Our identity in life does not come from what other people say. It does not come from the approval of man, It does not come from the acceptance of man. And if you live your life seeking those things, you're going to be disappointed. And you're going to be caught in a performance trap. You're going to be real happy when people recognize you and when people appreciate you. And you're going to be real low when people don't recognize you and they don't appreciate you. See, when Paul says, seek those things which are above, that means God, not the approval of man. So just the mere fact that you seek the approval of man is sin. It's falling short of where God wants us to be in life. So we've got to pursue those things above. Why don't we pursue God accepting us and approving us? Because we already have it. See, as a believer, you are given that. You are accepted in Christ. You are beloved in Christ. So you are loved and accepted by God, and you don't need the approval of man. The approval of man is very fickle. You can get the approval of people by doing stuff they like, and they will give you approval. You do stuff they don't like, and you'll get their disapproval. And so if you live your life like that, you're going to be boom, boom, boom. You're going to be all over the map and you're going to be totally in the flesh because that's not how God told us to live. God says you live in Christ. You seek those things above. You set your mind on things above. You live in that manner and stop seeking the approval or recognition of people. Because when you do, the love of the Father is not in you. So he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. The flesh is in him. Okay. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world's passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What is the will of God? Set your mind on things above, seek those things which are above, and you'll fulfill the will of God. The will of God is for you to pursue Him. That's the will of God. Don't think of the will of God as, what color shirt do I wear today? What's God's will for me today? I mean, People panic themselves over stuff like that. The will of God for your life is seek God. Set your mind on things of God. Pursue God. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will what? Put the proper desires into your heart. That's what God does. So he tells us in this passage, for all, verse 16, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That passage contains right there the three ways man sins. There are only three ways for man to sin. Man can sin by the lust of the flesh, Now what is the lust of the flesh? That would be physical pleasure. When physical pleasure becomes first and foremost in our life, that's lust of the flesh. And that can come in a wide variety of categories, okay? The second one, lust of the eyes. What is the lust of the eyes? That's seeing and desiring things that you shouldn't see and desire. Because where should your eyes be? On things above, okay? And then the third thing is the pride of life. What is the pride of life? Pride of life is what I said earlier: popularity or acceptance from others, being in the in crowd, that kind of thing. Or you can just be outright arrogant and boast of your accomplishments. Have a spirit of pride. Do you realize what I've done? Do you know who I am? People that are in that position a lot of time. That's the first thing when a police pulls them over. Do you know who I am? See that pride of life. Who who do you think you are messing with me? You don't know who I am. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was tempted in those three areas. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, you have a very clear picture of what happened to Christ. And he was tempted in the same way in those three areas. I'm going to begin in verse 1. It says, when Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. How long have you fasted? (laughs) About eight, eight hours? And you're hungry. Multiply that by 40 days. He was famished is what it said. In his physical nature, he was in a state of starvation is where he was. And when the tempter came to him, he says, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. So what's he appealing to there? Lust of the flesh, physical pleasure and desire. Do what I tell you to do, Jesus just like Adam did. See what Jesus is doing here. He's fulfilling the role of the last Adam. The first Adam failed. The first Adam failed in the garden because they saw the fruit, they desired the fruit, and they wanted to be like God. See, they fulfilled all three of those areas of sin. And so Jesus comes as the last Adam. The tempter comes up to him and says, "Ah, I'm going to get him now. And he uses the same approach with him. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. Jesus could have turned the devil into Pillsbury Doughboy. That wasn't no big deal for him. I'm not going to turn these stones into bread. Who do you think you are? Tell me something like that. So he ignores that one. What does he ignore it with? Scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What is that? The pride of life. Okay? Then you come to the last temptation. And it says, and again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Christ says, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him. What is that there? The lust of the eyes. So see, he, he attacked Christ in all three ways, lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes. And he turned away from him. That temptation to sin is always going to be there. There is no protection from it. And this scripture here ought ought to show you pretty clearly. If Christ was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, who are you and I? you think he's going to take a break from us? Not going to happen. We're going to be tempted in the same way. And we're tempted by the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So when we talk about Demas forsaking Paul and going after the world, somewhere in Demas' life, he succumbed to one of those temptations. And he moved away from Paul. He forsook Paul. He left him, as, as I said earlier, high and dry. And I use the term spiritual declension because what is God's plan and model for our life? Well, there's a lot of passages I, I could go to, but I'm going to Psalm 92 and I'm gonna read a portion of a scripture there of what God's desire for you and me are, you and me is. He says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. What's that show you? Spiritual life should be an ongoing growth in our life. We should be moving closer and closer to God as we go down the road. Now, granted, in the process of time, you're going you're to slip and fall and stuff like that on a daily basis. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not a snapshot of your life, but the motion picture of your life. The snapshot, yeah, you may be in the flesh right now, but you confess that sin, get back with God, and you keep moving. So you're moving on an upward scale. You're growing in your relationship with God. Spiritual declension is when you stop growing. Spiritual declension is when you cease to grow and you allow sin to come into your life. And what does that sin do? That sin slows your growth and it opens you up to even greater sin. What are some of the signs of spiritual declension? How can you do a self-analysis to see where you are spiritually? Now, there are a lot of them, and what I did is I tried to condense them down. I sat down, I started writing down all these things, and I said, well, there are a lot of ways to fail. That's pretty clear. We've got to narrow these down. So I narrowed them down into four key areas. The first one is this, a loss of devotion to God. What I mean by that is this. You begin to neglect what we refer to as the little things in the spiritual life. Reality is they are big things. But in a day-to-day process in life, they actually occupy a small part of our life. What would the that daily devotion or lack of devotion be? It would be a lack of passion for God. It would be a lack of prayer toward God. A lack of reading scripture or having daily intake of the word of God. And it involves your secret relationship with God. I mean, just stop and analyze. How is your prayer life? You spending time in prayer with God? Was there a time in your life when you spent more time in prayer? Are you reading the Word of God and trying to apply it to your life? Or was there a time in your life when you did that more? Was there a time in your life when you had a greater passion for God than what you have now? Those those are the things that you look at in your life to decide, where am I with God? Now, I know it's more fun to look at someone else's life, but... Look at your own. Examine yourself. And there's something else to be careful of. Paul tells us in Scripture, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. See, some people say, well, you know, a lot of these people do that, but it'll never happen to me. When you get to that point, you're setting yourself up for failure. Pure and simple. Number two, after a loss of devotion... Number two comes in, and number two is you gain an affection for the things of the earth. You gain affection, or your affection for physical things begins to take over from the spiritual things. It's a natural progression. Instead of seeking the things which are above, instead of setting your mind on things above, you begin looking at things on earth. You begin looking and valuing those temporal things more than you do eternal things. Folks, this is a struggle we face every day. It's not like you're running through life and all of a sudden there's a day in your life where all of a sudden this stuff starts popping up. It's a gradual process. And it's a gradual process that a lot of times you don't even recognize. I went into the eye doctor recently and uh, I go every year, get my eyes checked and uh, he was checking my eyes and he told me, he said, read the last line up on that screen. Uh, now, mind you, this is after he's dilated my eyes and all the stuff that he does. And, and the little technicians already fooled with me for about 30 minutes. He says, look into that screen and tell me what the bottom line was. I looked at it and there was a line there. I'll tell you that. But I can't <laughs> tell you what was in that line. I said, can I squint? He said, try not to. Because see what you do doing, you squint you move your move, you're sh- shaping your eye to where you can focus better. So I read the line above it. The other eye, I can still read the bottom line. And he said, mm-hmm. He said, your eyesight has gotten a little off. Now, last year when I went, that bottom line was a little fuzzy, but I didn't tell him. I just battled through it and I read the, read the letters right. But this time I couldn't do it. And so he said, I've got to change the prescription on your contacts. And he said, my eyesight, I think it was 20, 30. And so it causes things to be a little fuzzy when you look at them at a distance. That, I didn't really notice it. I thought my eyesight was fine. Because, see, that change took place over an extended period of time. The same thing happens in a spiritual life. You begin to spiritually decline, and it's so gradual that you don't notice it. You don't notice it. And then you start embracing the things of the world, then number three comes in. Number three is when you refuse counsel or reproof. In other words, someone will say something and you'll react to it and say, you, you don't know what you're talking about. That's not me. Or someone will say, you need to talk some someone about this. No, I'm not talking to no one about it. Refusing counsel or refusing reproof. You value your own judgment over others. Okay? And then the fourth step comes in. And the fourth step is where it really gets dangerous. Because as you've gradually moved down this road of spiritual decline, you've gone from a loss of devotion to embracing the things of the world to refusing counsel about what you're doing, you come to the fourth thing, and that's carelessness towards temptation. See, by then you've opened yourself up to temptation and you'll stumble. When you're back at step one, you could still be pretty sensitive to temptation. You said, no, I don't need to be doing that. But once you have lost that sensitivity to God, you've embraced the world and all of a sudden you're settled in your mind that there's nothing wrong, then you open yourself up for temptation. And when that temptation comes, you're more likely going to cave into it and give in to it. And what happens? Well, when you get that state in your life, your life starts drying up, is what happens. Your life becomes dry, it loses its vitality, you lose your zeal for God and your thrust for God. There's a process in ferns and in some plants, called poikilohydrae, is what it's called. And it's a process where these plants have an inability to regulate water content, and maintain homeostasis of the cells. And what happens is these ferns in desert areas will completely dry up. They hadn't died. They're still attached to a rock or a crevice in a canyon wall or something like that. But if you looked at them, they'd be all curled up and crunchy looking and stuff. But the first time water comes and comes in contact with that plant, that plant can suck that water up and comes back to life. That process takes a long time for a plant to get there. But once it gets there, you look at that plant and you think that plant is dead. But as soon as that plant reconnects with water, life comes back into it. A lot of plants in the desert are like that. You go in the desert, it looks dead, dry, barren. You can go into South Texas. And, and look at that. It looks dead, dry and barren. But when a, a, a half inch, one inch rainfall in those areas, which is equivalent to almost a flood because they get so little rain, everything comes alive. Flowers bloom. Everything pops back into life. Your spiritual life, my spiritual life, much the same. You gradually dry up, but once you avail yourself to the things of God and you go back to prayer, you go back to scripture reading, you go back to worship, you go back to setting your mind on things above and not on things are you're going to find out that your life is going to take a whole different perspective. Amen. It'll come alive. It'll become vibrant again because it doesn't take a lot to bring about change. But that process of getting there is slow, just like that plant. It gradually dries up, but at the first hint of moisture, and sometimes a heavy dew will do it with some of those plants. Boy, they'll just come alive in the desert. What can we learn from Demas? I mean, he forsook Paul, but what's something that we can learn? I think first and foremost lesson we can learn from Demas is this. We need to maintain an eternal focus for life. You need to maintain an eternal focus. Demas lost his somewhere along the way. He failed to focus on the things of God. And you've got to keep that focus. Number two, no one is immune to spiritual declension. I don't care if you're the preacher. I don't care if you're the theologian at the the Bible seminary. I don't care if you're the Sunday school teacher, if if you're a spiritual giant in the faith, it doesn't matter. Think about this, folks. Demas works side by side with Paul. Paul said he's a co-laborer. He's putting as much into this as I am. That's how devoted Demas was. At the end of the life, what does he say? Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. That tells me something. It tells me that nobody is immune from failing. And the minute we think we aren't, that's when we're most likely to fail. And the third lesson I learned from Demas, but I learned this really looking at the whole of Scripture, and that is that God is faithful. God is faithful, and when you do fall, God will receive you back. Amen. See, another lie that a lot of people have is, I failed, I, I, I'm a failure. I deal with it a lot of times, especially working in a prison system with a lot of these men and women. They'll say, I'm a failure. I said, no, you're not. I said, I said failure is not a noun. the a verb. I said, you are a human. You are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not a failure. According to Scripture, you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I said, you're not conquering much right now. But I said, that can change quickly. Changed real quickly. Well, God wouldn't have nothing to do with me. God's done with me. I said, if you're alive, God's not done with you. If you're breathing, God's not finished with you. He's still got a purpose and a reason for you. And you need to understand what that is. And often I include this line. I said, You need to get off your pity party and your self-loathing and get serious with God. Quit using that as an excuse. Quit trying to make God the blame for you staying where you are. You see how evil the heart of man is? You are where you are because you've chosen to be there. You and I stay in a state like that when we refuse the grace of God in our life. But if you'll receive the grace of God, what will God do? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can rebound when you're good and ready to rebound because all you got to do is turn to God and He is faithful to receive you again. So if you're in that state, understand, restoration rests with you. It rests with you and your desire to turn to God because when you turn to God, He will restore you. Folks, I don't know what happened to Demas. I don't know where he ended up. I'll find out one day. I'll find out where he ended, if he ever got back into ministry. But you can imagine, you're mentioned three times in the Bible, and the last time you're mentioned chronologically, Demas has forsaken me. And when I read stuff like that, I just say, silent prayer. Thank you, God, that you're not writing any more books in the Bible, because I don't want to be in there. I don't want to be included in there. You pick one of my high points. But God, if you'll notice in Scripture, He has a way of picking those low points. You know why? Because there's only one person that made it to the end without failure. He went to a cross and died for our sins. There's only one perfect. And that's our Savior. That's why we need to set our mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. Why? My life is hidden with Christ and God. I have a different perspective of life. And if, and if you're declining in your life, if your spiritual life is not where it needs to be, boom, you need to deal with it. You need to quit blaming other people. You need to quit blaming God. You need to quit being stubborn and just get before God and say, God, I've failed, man. And I'm sick of being lukewarm. And I want to be on fire for you. Amen. And you confess your sin... And the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll put you back on solid ground. And that's where you want to be. You know why? Life is short, folks. Don't wait to the end of life to get right. Get right right now and learn what it means to live for Him and the joy and the contentment that He brings that will flood into your heart regardless of where you may be in life. Let's pray. Father, Let us be sensitive to the things that really matter. Help us, Lord, teach us, Lord, to focus upon that which is important, seeking those things which are above, setting our mind on things above. And Father, let us be sensitive to the move of your Holy Spirit in our life, that we will discern where we are. Give us a heart that is willing to turn, and that will turn. Father, let us be found faithful and let us finish the race that you have set before us. Father, that's our prayer. Let each of us be found faithful. Let us walk with you day by day. For it's in Christ's name we pray, Lord. Amen.